Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linway. For today's return episode, I share an interview I just did with Eric Watercutty, an artist and printmaker living in Mankato, Minnesota. Of course, a fun conversation ensues, but I also have to say I learn a little bit about the controversial art of hand-wiping plates. Stay tuned. I'm joined by a good old friend, Eric Watercutty, today. How are you doing? Very well. Thanks, David. It's uh, nice to finally get you um, on a specific time. I know that you've been been busy uh, doing a lot of stuff, which, you know, hopefully everybody will be interested in listening to, um, because it sounds like you've been pretty active showing and stuff and and traveling. Um, But I want to start, like I always do, a little bit just uh, droning on about the past. So Mm -hmm. um, if we can go back to little Eric Watercutty. Um, I don't know, I, I just kind of like to get an idea, obviously, you know, in terms of where you're from, I, I know that you're from the Midwest, but um, if you could talk a little bit about, you know, where you're from and, and what your upbringing was like, and I don't know, uh, maybe maybe if there are any clues to uh, what you might become early on, or maybe, I don't know, you're a big football fan. I don't no, know. <laughs> no, I've never, <laughs> I'm still trying to, yeah, reconcile my... Uh, interest in, in athletics, if I have any, but, um, I, uh, I, I grew up in, in Bloomington, Illinois, where you and I went to school as well, so I went through all my schooling in, in central Illinois, and, um, uh, I was, you know, raised in a nice, uh, you know, middle-class family and everything. Um, one of my, I think, early interests or support from the arts was just having, you know, uh, a father who built stuff and worked in construction and um, worked with his hands and things like that. Uh, built two of the houses that I lived in growing up. So that was, I think, seeing those kinds of things was uh, really inspiring at the time. And, um, yeah. And I later found out, just kind of doing some general research, that our family does come from uh, carpenters and builders of all kinds. So there's always been people working with their hands, heavy-duty German workers. Right, right. Well, and it's interesting, too, in terms of not only the, you know, the the act of printmaking and all the, the technical processes that uh-huh. I have to grill you about, because I know printmaking in particular can be, well, pretty particular. Um yeah. But also in the content, you know, um, in terms of the, the kind of constructed landscapes and, and that kind of thing that you've been working through. Um, but to kind of, I guess, start m- maybe more towards the, the earlier interests, I mean, were, did you have a pretty traditional kind of, I guess, art education in terms of like, you know, um, I don't know. I have, a, I have a lot of students, for example, that start out by drawing comic books or, you know, kind of getting interested in that. Or was that, was that something that became, I don't know, I, what, what was that like? Your, your early art endeavors, I guess. It was a lot of that. It was a lot of um, tracing paper over top of, you know, Marvel Comics. <laughs> and um, then I moved on to doing tracings of and, you know, uh, uh, redrawing album covers and stuff like that. Um, I feel like those kinds of things are, are still things that I keep around the studio as examples of graphics that I like. You know, um, and I'd like to think that that's why I got into printmaking is because I recognized, you know, some of that influence from from those early copies and tracings that I do. That you know, all of that was printed imagery and printed graphics. Um, yeah, I and then art school. I mean, I didn't have a lot of art in high school. I just kept drawing, and then um, college, as as you know, was was kind of a, a set of of really strong foundations and then you know i think isu has a really good art education actually i felt really lucky um to get a, re- a really great range of different um philosophies and techniques and, and things like that but i definitely did as you mentioned gravitate towards printmaking um i did start out in painting and found out uh, that I, I wasn't very apt in that but um printmaking Definitely, and photography uh, were things that I was really interested in. And then when I I saw how I could kind of join those together with collage and drawing, that that became really important to me. But it was it was a pretty atypical 
you know, education, you know, art education. But um, uh, like you were mentioning before we started the podcast, I, I still refer a lot to that that education I got in my teaching and, and in my, my making, for sure. Well, and it's, it's interesting, too, to, uh, I mean, know that you're, you know, from Bloomington, because, um, I mean, obviously, um, well, maybe it's not obvious, because, again, obviously, Bloomington Normal is more of like a, a college town, or at least just because there's a number of colleges in the area, a little bit different than, say, I don't know, some of the suburbs that maybe I grew up in, but um, was there, a, a, I don't know, did, did you get drafted, or did you just kind of go, oh, it's right there, or, I mean... Oh, um, into into ISU. Or? Yeah, yeah, and and I say this because my my experience was, I visited Illinois State University because my brother went there. Right. And it just turned out to be a really really great program, and it's interesting how, I don't know, circumstances like that sometimes just randomly work work themselves into life, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I I um actually didn't I I didn't really want to go to college at first. I had a really bad attitude about education when I graduated from high school. And um, my, you know, my mother worked at ISU. She worked in the International Studies Office. So we, you know, she wanted me to go to college. She, you know, essentially said, at least give it a year, you know, and then you can decide to drop out. And I started in music for a while, and then I t- was taking some art classes as well, and I had, um, <clears throat> I was taking classical guitar lessons from this guy, uh, Kane, and Kane had been both a music, yeah, isn't that an awesome name? I think that was his name, Kane, um, <laughs> but he had gotten a, a degree in both art and music, and he gave me a great piece of advice, which was, because I had mentioned, oh, that's, I think that's what I'm going to do, you know? And um, he gave me a great piece of advice, which was that both of those, in order to be good at them, um, even to be, you know, to try to be good enough at, at either of those, he said, you know, you you have to focus on one or the other. He's like, they, you know, you can't do both. Um, and uh, he said, you know, I would pick one or the other because he was like, I graduated with both and I ended up being a mediocre artist and a mediocre, you know, right. guitar player. and. And, uh, you know, and that's why he was going back for his graduate degree in in, uh, music. And I thought that was great advice, and so I quit the music path and just focused on my art degree. And um, But I was essentially there because I was from that town. And then I found out really quickly how, you know, good of a program it was there. And um, printmaking, as far as printmaking goes, I, I felt like when I started in that, I just remember there were very few people in there in that studio, but there was always awesome music coming out of there, and whenever I walked by, I'd either see uh, Matt Pulford or Matt Fazol, like, doing something, you know, like, rolling up a, a giant, you know, plate with, like, red ink or something, and, you know, this heavy metal music blaring out of there, and I was like, yeah, I want to be in there, so sure. that was my recruiting. Well, and just so you know, too, though, Eric, um, you can do both, you just have to become like a multi-million dollar artist like Lars Ulrich. Um, and then you can have, then you can have solo shows at like big New York galleries. Yeah. Of your, yeah, of your great paintings. Same free top from C&K, you know, he can, <laughs> he can make those, you know, awesome little architectonic paintings and play an awesome guitar and <laughs> write awesome songs. I mean, I'm getting there, you know? Well, but, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but, um, so, so then, um, was your, did you, you know, you were talking about taking some painting classes and pri- primarily being, doing a lot of drawing, um, uh, before that, um, did you start, you know, kind of like with, obviously you're starting with the basics, but I mean, were you kind of drawn more towards intaglio or litho or did you do both? Um, I did both. I, I mean, I think it, it was really, I, I still see it as as kind of an interest in collage, um, that, you know, I was always, I was always really, uh, kind of, um, confident and comfortable working in that media. And then, so printmaking seemed like an extension, but I took, I took both, um, Intaglio and Litho, um, within my first year. Um, and then after I decided on a major, I was in school in England for a study abroad thing. 
um, for a semester, and I just got to focus on printmaking, and I took everything in one semester, like an intro class of, of everything, and that was that was awesome to, to be able to focus that much. Um, but I'd say I was always really, um, I always worked more directly, even though I was interested in all the indirectness of printmaking, and this is kind of um, going to sound um, contradictory, but even though I was interested in all the indirect processes of printmaking, I always kind of gravitated towards quicker, direct things. So intaglio and screen printing and monotype and those things I'd always kind of um, gravitated towards. So Right, right. And so... Um I guess in terms of that, then, what? Because what, I, I think I have an idea, but again, I, I'm not very familiar. And your your website always goes only goes back so far. But um, your first real bodies of work, where you kind of um, I don't know, maybe started to get more invested in it as a uh, you know as someone that's a a future artist as opposed to then you mm-hmm. know somebody that's just working through projects. I mean. Um, what were your first interests then? I mean, in terms of, you were talking a little bit about, like, collage. Um, so, I mean, would that be something that kind of became apparent then, or is it something that had slowly crept in there? Or, Well, I'd say it was, I, I mean, I see it as being apparent then, and I would, um, I'd just make a bunch of, uh, of different plates at that time, like, um, and I felt like, even at that point, I was <clears throat> more interested in working the paper as a surface than sitting there scraping and burnishing and honing a plate, you know, um, with multiple layers. I just make a bunch of different layers, uh, go through that big bin of, uh, you know, scrap plates that, that was underneath the hot plate. I don't know if you remember that in the studio and find other people's work and, you know, print little bits from them. And um, at the the time, what my BFA show uh, was made up of was a bunch of prints um, that were essentially like monotypes or monoprints, but really low editions, uh, really small editions that I had just obsessively printed over and over um, with all of these different plates. So each each print probably had like ten layers in it. Um, and I remember you know, like soaking the paper so much that it would start to kind of come apart after so many layers and things like that. They became pretty delicate. But, um, yeah, and, and to me that even though it was layering on top of one another, it was very much a collage process because I just, I, uh, gathered all these different elements together. You know, I never had one set matrix or anything that made the image. It was always things in various orders and layers. And and that's where I felt like uh, my uh, beginnings in painting really came through. I always wanted to layer, layer prints together and, you know, almost like print layers as if they were like transparent glazes or something over mm-hmm. top. But I was always thinking in that method. And I remember during my BFA show, that was one of the best compliments I got was from Shona McDonald, who told me that my prints looked like paintings, and I was—I felt like I was on the right track. Well, so. a lot of painters will probably back you up in, in saying that. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm just kind of kidding, because, you know, I don't know. Um, little non-sectorer there, sorry. Um, That's okay. But, um, you know, I, I guess one, one of the questions that I might ask, too, then, I mean, in terms of what you do now, which, again, has a lot more representational elements kind of going on in it. So at the time, then, in terms of your, your ideas for what would, like, spark a new, a new print, then, I mean, was it really kind of a, like a, a, a language that you'd make up in terms of, like, a formal language that would kind of all kind of feed into, into itself as, you, as you're working through these ideas, or... Were you looking at anything naturalistic, or you know, from life, or I mean, I mean, what what was that process in terms of like, you know, what you were looking at, or, or how that kind of started? I was working. Yeah, I, I was definitely always, even when they were, um, even when my work was very abstract, and I think that <clears throat> to kind of tie that into what we were talking about earlier, I think that's kind of the education that um, I got from undergrad was that even if you're interested in abstraction, that that um, construction or deconstruction or or, um, 
however you build your image, it comes from some kind of concrete source or empirical source of some kind. And so I was, I was always uh, working from, um, you know, the landscape around me, and then, you know, and and particularly little elements like little patterns or structures that I would see around us, like growing up in. You know the rural area. You know, I was always looking at like the patterns of the fields or um, little sheds and you know, kind of barns, like roof structures. And I would, um, you know, for a while I was sketching those things, and I don't know, I I I'd find that really boring because I I'd look at that. Um, you know, I, I'd like find things when I was driving by and then it'd be like, pull over and do a quick sketch or something. And I was like, well, why don't I just pull over and take a picture and then print it out and have it up in my studio or something like that. So I started keeping uh, a camera as as a kind of sketchbook. And, and uh, that's what I worked with primarily was, was uh, photographs from the environment around me. And then I would print out a bunch of those and have those up in the studio, do sketches, and cut things up. And, and basically the way I figured out my work in undergrad was making this big lexicon of stuff I was interested in. Like, I, I, you know, I remember struggling with figuring out what I wanted to make images of after that, you know, kind of point where you move beyond the projects. And um, I was looking at all of our peers in school, and I'm like, well, you know, they essentially have this vocabulary, and that was how we were talking about things during critique, was like a vocabulary, like a visual vocabulary. And I mean, maybe I was thinking of it really um, kind of pedantically, but I was like, oh, I'll just make a language for myself. So I remember just putting together stacks and stacks of printouts and photocopies from the images I had taken or sketches I had made, and then, you know, just referring to those whenever I wanted to make something. Right. I, I don't know if that makes no, sense. I, and it started off with really tiny, like, holograph and relief prints, I remember. And I hope those don't exist anywhere now, but... They might. They might, <laughs> yeah. So could you talk a little bit about then maybe, you know, moving on from, from Illinois State University and, and uh, continuing your, I guess, specialization of printmaking? Yeah, sure. Um... Well, I went to school, grad school at the University of Alberta, and I went there because um, we, we had a, a visiting professor there at ISU for a few years, Sean Caulfield, who was really influential. I mean, still is really an influential artist to me, and um, he had been from that program, so he really promoted it for... Uh, you know, in, in how he uh, spoke about his own philosophy of printmaking. And I was really drawn to uh, that program because of uh, the international connections they had. They were looking at a lot of um, printmaking from Japan and Eastern Europe and Mexico and artists who didn't make prints on the side, you know, like a lot of um, American prints that are made are like publishing efforts done by, you know, uh, you know, fine art publishers who, who, you know, find artists who are uh, essentially working in other mediums and then create a collaborative effort. Um, I was really interested in finding and, and uh, working with artists who were, you know, printmakers first and foremost. And so uh, that program allowed me to meet a lot of those artists. We had a big visiting artist program that was international there at, at Alberta. And then a lot of the um, artists who were teaching there were primarily printmakers. Um, and there wasn't any of the any of the commissioned or publishing parts of, of that in my education there. Um, but uh, it was a nice transition. I did, I did feel like, although I was in the Midwest of Canada, which is not that different, from the, the Midwest uh, in, in the U.S., um, I did feel like uh, there was a bit more diversity to um, the uh, the teaching there and the instruction. I, I felt like I was, in terms of my education, in a different place. And then, you know, there's a lot of artists in Canada that I just wouldn't have met or didn't know much about Canadian art history and stuff like that. So it was, uh, I, I think it was a really good opportunity well, and, and to it, you know, I, I know, and this is going to kind of come up in another way, but um, 
were there also a lot of new like processes and things that people brought us? I mean, especially not not only just because I, you know having having looked into that program, um, I know that there's you know a lot in terms of, of of just printmaking, but I mean, you know, I would think that just having an international kind of pool of you know people that work in different ways. I mean, did you wind up learning a lot of new techniques that you wound up then incorporating into what you do? Yeah, absolutely, and um, you know they offered so many different things. That one of the one of the things I, I liked about the philosophy there is that because they could offer everything, um, the discussion, you know, the discussion of process was usually like just the beginning to things because you had everything at hand. It was never this kind of like struggle. So it was just like, well, you know, if you want to do that, just do it. You know, if you, if you wanted to create a bunch of embossments into paper, you know, use this press. Or if you wanted to, you know, um, use a lot of photography, here's how you could make a, you know, great photo etching or, um, so a lot of that stuff was at hand and you just kind of learned it as the opportunity arose. They also had, um, uh, one of the nice things is that they had a, a, a set of really able-bodied and able-minded uh, technicians there that if you wanted to do something new that you weren't familiar with, they would they would help you out individually to do that. So um, I started incorporating, like you did in grad school, a lot of digital processes. And, and um, you know, I, I knew very little about, uh, you know, Photoshop or Illustrator and... Um, they, Mark and, and Steve, the technicians there, were really able to, to help me, you know, learn those things and, and find the answers for myself. So it was it was a nice way to educate yourself in new processes, too. It was just available there, and then you had the support um, individually. So we were really, um, you know, I felt like I was treated like a real artist there, you know, like they took my work really seriously, and they wanted my ideas to come to fruition there. Right. And so, I mean, what was the, was the, how did the, I guess the work transition then in terms of that? Cause you know, obviously we could talk about, especially individuals could talk about their own work for a long time, recognizing all those, those little kind of incremental steps that you wind up making. But was there anything that you can kind of look back on and that kind of, um, maybe slowly brought you, I guess, closer to the body of work that you're making now? Because, um, and again, I don't know where this fit in in terms of if this is post, but I, I know that, you know, I helped, uh, or that you visited SIU to, to, to create a suite of prints too. So I'm just trying to, trying to figure out that transition in terms of, you know, how you move from making things that are, you know, kind of referencing these, these photographs or these sources that you're, you know, mm-hmm. then kind of turning into something else. I mean, did it, did it naturally, I mean, I don't know, what was that process? How, how did that, because, again, that's just me. It kind of seems to slowly become more slightly representational um, the more current that it gets, but that could be entirely a, a bad education on my part. Well, no, no, I think you're right. I think it just had more to do with, um, I mean, there were definitely transitions there, um, you know, from undergrad to grad school that were you know, minute to, to pretty vast in terms of processes and opportunities. But I, I think basically it came down to, um, you know, just learning how to work with those layers and in printmaking and, and using, I think Alberta allowed me to do like so many different processes and layers on the same piece of paper that I was really able to look at all of printmaking as, as a mark, you know. Um, and so if I wanted something really flat, I could print it as a silk screen and, and keep that really distinct graphic. If I wanted something rich and more nuanced, I could do a litho or, or etching next to it. You know, so you could you could kind of juxtapose those different elements. But I think just thinking about drawing um, and uh, you're, you're mentioning like from moving from more abstract space into more representational space, I think it had everything to do with uh, learning how to, you know, build, not just build layers one over top of one another that looked cool, but actually build a, a kind of illusionistic space. And it might have been really, really late to the game, but I felt like I really learned um, 
about, you know, representation and how to really use those formal languages when I got into grad school. You know, I felt like there was just so much to work through in undergrad that I finally got to really nuance those things in, in grad school. And, and really it just has to do literally with figuring out how to compose an, a, a space, a, an illusionistic space on the page, I think. Well, and, you know, it's, it kind of it seems fitting in terms of what, you know, I brought up earlier um, just in our casual conversation about this idea of the, the remix and um, mm-hmm. and especially that idea of uh, learning technique um, because it sounds like then, too, the, the kind of collages maybe that you had envisioned um, were just something that were so technical that it maybe took a, a while to kind of allow that to be able to catch up, you know, so that so that you know how to make these things, which, again, you know, just to kind of reiterate this point that I, that I might have mentioned a couple of in a couple of these, just because I think it's helpful. But um, you know, learning learning how to make things and to really kind of control them so that you can manipulate them. So I mean, in terms of what you're talking about, it's, it seems like that's yeah, like Absolutely. something that was caught up to the point where you can kind of be, be like not doing it arbitrarily, but like, oh, I need this part to you know mm-hmm. recede, so I need to use this kind of technique on it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And so then were, were the, the kind of prints that you kind of had left there with um, in terms of maybe your, your thesis work, um, were they kind of then similar in terms of that refinement? Um, were there other kind of maybe, I don't know, other avenues that you were kind of exploring that you can kind of, again, maybe talk a little bit about? I, I don't know if you had a, you know, a sound phase, for example, where you were... <laughs> I don't know, hooking up microphones into, like, cracks of sidewalks, and I don't know. Uh, no, no, I, that sounds pretty cool. <laughs> um, the, the work I, I left with was, uh, uh, let's see, the, the work I left with, I think, was, was really uh, a kind of exploration of um, Basically, like like another lexicon of, of, of language, it was very architectural. You know, they were all based in like um, these explosive, um, archa, you know, architectural schematics. Um, I, I was really influenced by artists like Julie Maritou and you know the idea of how architecture um, or, or even the the kind of suggestion of these schematics would um, kind of get the viewer to think about potential spaces, um, much like much like in, the, in, in your work as well, where um, it's architecture and, and mar- like schematic mark making is used as a trigger to for the viewer to picture another space somewhere else or to reconstruct a space for themselves. So, um, you know, I played around a little bit with how to display the work in that show. I remember I was starting to you know, try to think of how to not just have interesting prints on the wall, but also I made, like, this little display case where the prints were, like, set out on, like, a little vitrine, you know, um, as if they were little artifacts. So I, I was trying to get the get the viewer to think about it as um, as uh, not just a window, but also these, these kind of um, potential, uh, like, proposals for space or... or um, you know, actual drafts for, for ideas, even though they wouldn't work schematically. Um, so I was really interested in that ambiguity, but it was, it was a, a, a body of prints and, and, uh, and, you know, what was nice is leaving grad school, I got to roll all those up and show them a few other places and, yeah. Well, and, you know, one of the things that always struck me as being so fun about printmaking, and again, I, I've always fashioned myself to be a very hack kind of printmaker, um, yes. But, um, and again, that might just be because it's not, you know, kind of like what we were talking about before. I mean, it's not something that maybe, you know, people might kind of do something like a, a secondary medium, like printmaking, um, and and not even, and not even kind of recognize that there's so much, there could be so much involved in it that you kind of never have the time to really explore it the way that maybe some of the other people that you've worked with or the way that you work with it, you know, do. Um, but it always struck me that there was such a community in terms of being able to work through those things. So I wanted to ask you, well, definitely one non sequitur in that, um, are you the kind of printmaker that, that will hand wipe or is that a no, no? And then the other one is, um, just what, what it's like then in terms of going into an environment where, you know, you're going to be like a, giving a, giving a talk maybe, 
and um, you know producing a suite of prints. Um, what the process is like in terms of what you have to do in order to be ready to do that, or if it kind of goes in stages. Like if you might start a print somewhere, or do the preliminary work so that you can start it somewhere and then wind up finishing it somewhere. Um, so I realize there's a lot uh, uh-huh. to kind of answer in there, but well, um, I. I mean, I don't know if I want to say this on, you know, recording, but I, I have hand wiped the plate before, mm-hmm. um, and I do I do do that sometimes, even though it's very dirty. <laughs> um, but if it calls for it, David, I'm willing to do it. Okay. Well, because well, I know that there's some, yeah, I think I think you might get outcasted or blacklisted if you say that to the wrong person. That's true. Or you just might be asked to wet wash your hands. You know. Um, well, you but, wear black jeans, right? <laughs> I thought. I don't know. Well, I moved. You know, with the summer months coming up, I'm. You know, I'm mostly wearing all white. Last <laughs> these days. Um, okay. But, well, um, that answers that. But uh, so, in terms of then the the processing, kind of going in somewhere and, and and working through a new print. Yeah, actually, I mean, it's funny you brought up my. You know, when uh, you had me to uh, southern uh, Illinois um, in Carbondale, I think that was, like, um, the first time I had made a print with a group of people. And it was, like, it was just so fun and exciting. And, um, you know, I didn't really know what to expect or how to do it. But um, I remember... There was this artist uh, from Calgary, from um, Alberta College of Art and Design, who came up, Derek Bassan. And he made, I mean, he was just always, uh, he had come up a few times to visit the program when I was in grad school, and he was good friends with the other faculty. But he would always just bring stuff from Mm -hmm. his studio, you know, like little transparencies and printouts and little sketches. And he just brought a big portfolio of stuff, and then we would you know, throw it all together, and um, it was a lot of fun. So that was really my experience, you know, to go off of. Like, I really liked his approach. So when I went to Southern Illinois, I uh, that's what I did. And it's been that way ever since. Like, I have a couple of plates maybe that I bring along, but then, you know, I'm going to go to Bowling Green here next week to make a print, and I'm going to do it the same way. I'm going to bring some plates, but... Also, and, and some drawings that we can make into screens or photo lithos or something. And, um, you know, and then just collaborate. Like, I felt, you know, working with you and, um, uh, was it Kelly? Yeah, it Kelly. And then Kelly I believe, and, and, Gus um, would be I the other one. Yep. Gus. Yeah. That, uh, you know, I mean, we, we would all just, like, we'd print a layer and then we'd all kind of pin it up and look at it. And even though it was, it was great because it was my work, you know, right. I, I felt like, it was it was just a great scenario where you guys were all invested in it too and wanted to get it done but wanted to make something cool and I, I really felt uh, positive. So I think keeping an open mind when I go in, like um, not having something really specific in mind, but just bringing the elements and knowing that it's going to be an interesting creative experience and I'm probably going to end up with what I didn't initially expect but still be pleased with it. So. Well, and it, to me, it, it strikes me as being something that's uh, it, maybe a slightly different kind of collaboration, and um, mm-hmm. I guess just partially just being a being a painter, um, I'm not. I don't like playing with other people yeah. in terms of art making. I, and maybe it sounds silly, but I mean, even even in past experiences where people would be like, "We were going to paint together," and it's kind of like, "No, it sounds silly." Um, but uh, it, you know, it strikes me as a different kind of collaboration because I mean, again, it's one of those things where. You know, you might get an idea from from someone in, in terms of the way that you know something could kind of be directed, and I don't know, you, even just kind of the way that that I remember your your uh, you, you kind of like to joke, uh, asking uh, you know or saying things like the visiting artist needs coffee or something like that. Whichever, if anybody knows Eric, he's got a huge ego. Um, but, um, but no, I mean, I, I don't know. There's something interesting about that kind of, uh, that kind of ability to kind of be like, you know, what do you, what do you guys think this needs or, you know, you know, what, what is this lacking to kind of really fix it? And I, it seems like, again, an area that, you know, you don't really get to in painting as much, you know, you don't, you don't really sit around with five other painters and be like, what do you, you know, what do you think about this background? You know, like, yeah. 
not I, not in process. It's always you know what I mean. It's always much more removed. So I, I always find that you know really interesting. Yeah, but I mean, think about it though. Like, if I mean, it had it had that situation though has everything to do with definitely the process itself. Like, there's more opportunity for you know because of the time and the process for all of us to to work together because you know. I could have said, Kelly, I want this specific orange mix and we're going to screen print this. Or I could say to, you know, we could all talk together and she's going to have to mix the ink and maybe even pull the screen part. So, you know, it, it, it creates opportunity. Whereas, like, in painting, you'd be, like, walking in front of one another to try to do that. Right, you know? right. Um, so that removal. But, I mean, imagine if you're, like, a giant, you know, of a giant of the contemporary art world and you've got 10 assistants. But, you know, I bet you that same experience would happen in painting, you know, if you had more of a production house. Right. You know, but... Yeah, that seems like... Maybe maybe it seems like printmakers live more of the dream scenario than, than just other artists. Because, you know what I, I mean? I would love to... I, I'm going to quote you on that. I can, well, I just... <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, I'm probably being very naive, but I just can't, you know what I mean? I can't imagine a scenario where I could ever have somebody that'd be like, I, I wouldn't trust anybody, to be honest. Maybe maybe that speaks to a little bit of my own insecurities, but, like, I, I don't know how I would, you know, um, explain to someone, like, oh, no, you know, you need to mix that blue differently. Yeah. You know, no, and I, I mean, in, a, I in a certain nuanced way. Personality, but I also, uh, I, I mean, I... You know, I know plenty of printmakers, you know, that wouldn't wouldn't let, you know, don't work that way. They want, like, to bring in a plate and say, like, here, you right. know, um, I want this specific thing done. But I just found out that's not, it's not going to end up well for me, you know, if, if I'm that specific. So. Right, right. Um, and so, I mean, I guess to kind of get back to, to the actual work then, too, um Mm-hmm. And uh, like something that I was thinking earlier, you know, it's interesting how that idea of construction then became something that that was invested in the work, considering your your family's background. Um, mm-hmm. Was was that ever did that, that ever became a, a consideration as you started working through your more recent bodies of work? Um, you know, what could you talk a little bit about maybe? I don't know, because I, I, cause it's it's always easy to want to see, like, a beginning, middle, and end, you know, mm-hmm. in, in terms of kind of, like, thinking about people's work. So, I mean, um, what would you say would be kind of, like, the next, I don't know, the next leg in that? Because, I mean, your some of your current work is very diverse in terms of, you know, sourcing, um, you know, even just kind of kind of looking at that and, and kind of reading over, you know, popular culture and and heavy metal and all these other influences that, you know, very literally find a way into the work. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know, what was, how, how did that wind up going about? And, and I guess, where are you, I guess, in a more current sense? Well, I, I think um, I'm still thinking about construction, but um, instead of constructing like uh, a print with a kind of architectonic or illusionistic space, I'm thinking about, trying to think about the gallery as being that construction already and then how to present the work, the flat work on the wall in, in a way that engages the architecture So, um, or, you know, uses lights with, with the prints, like illumination, um, whether it be light boxes or little LED lights, thinking about how um, light and, and the architecture of the gallery can affect the images or vice versa. Um, so I think construction is still there. I'm just thinking about the space, the viewer's space with the artwork in a different way rather than looking into a window. I'm thinking about them already being in this kind of constructed space because the galleries of, you know, construction. But, um, you know, a lot of the work over the last four or five years has been about, um, has been basically... Uh, inspired by my my um, my interest in utopias and that came out of, of just an interest in construction you know like um, interest in in utopic architecture and then I started reading about you know utopias in terms of philosophy and fiction and um, my recent body of work has just kind of narrowed that down to something really specific I wanted to find utopias in 
recent history that I wanted to work from. And so the, the recent utopias and dystopias are, uh, you know, Woodstock and the Altamont concert. And so I'm just looking at those as these kind of very American, um, very mythological um, utopias for myself, utopias and dystopias. And then uh, kind of playing that up into this kind of magic magic kind of construction in, in the way the exhibit looks. So well, if, that, if that makes any sense. But. No, I, I think it does. But, you know, it's something, again, that I keep, rela- I keep relaying everything to this, this, this video, this, this remix video, because I think it's just so... Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, uh, in terms of what I do, you know, I, th- I think of it as some kind of, you know, on, and again, in a very contemporary way, maybe, um, though there's probably someone that's much better read that would scoff at me or make fun of me. But, you know, I mean, like, I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm borrowing some things that I find interesting from a number of different ways of working and kind of reconfiguring them in, in a way to, that maybe questions them, but also kind of embraces them. And mm-hmm. so I'm just kind of curious then in terms of that. I mean, is, are, is the idea of a, a utopia like that, is, some, is that something that you think is, is kind of a feasible or something that maybe we try to aspire to but never kind of make? I think, I think it's, totally, uh, it, it's totally a fantasy. It's, it's an ideal, you know. Um, and what I think is really interesting is we constantly – you know, maybe it's more recently, or maybe it's always been that way. But we constantly use it as a as a fantasy to um, aspire to. You know, we we want these utopias uh, in our pop culture. We want them in in religion. We want them, you know, in in economics. And so, like, I think it's it's a it's a fantasy that's easily related to and something that we. We always used to describe everything, um, you know, like we like to describe the rise and fall of things, you know, whether it's a person or a political party or, um, you know, a musical group or something. It's always about this, you know, um, ideal height that's been reached and then the dystopic like downfall. So I, yeah, I definitely think it's a construction, but I also think it's, it's a construction that we we use in in a really interesting way to, to kind of define things. We use it as like a, a kind of paradigm to think about things, you know. Um, well, and, and it's interesting because it doesn't, you know, it kind of relates to um, something that I was listening to about earlier on a, a different podcast um, that someone brought up um, this uh, research by Hans Ro- Rosling. I don't know if, if you're familiar with it, but there's a TED Talk that, I wound up watching this morning about this, which is kind of interesting, but um, kind of through, through you know, uh, just researching statistics, um, kind of talks about the evolution of current kind of world and economic systems mm-hmm. in terms of, like, birth rates and just general overall how people do. And it's interesting because there's a, there's a overall rise, like, everywhere. Um, which is something that kind of, you know, especially if you watch the local news, is something that's kind of, you know, contrary to what, <laughs> you know, everybody's everybody's burning. You know, there's a fire everywhere, and there's a lot of people, you know, being gunned down or something like that. But it, it's kind of interesting to think about then into in, in the way that, you know, globalization works, how, I don't know, how those things are, are changing, you know what I mean, in, in some regards. But, again, that... Um, that I don't know that if that that utopic ideal you know can ever really be achievable, or if it is, however long it, it ever is, you know, before it is kind of corrupted. But um, well, I think I mean I I wrote a, a piece for this um, for the Mid America Print Journal um, uh, last I think it was last issue it was published in it, and I interviewed um, a couple of different artists who deal with with utopia, so. Um, Curtis Mann, um, Jenny Schmidt, uh, Yunmi Nam, and uh, uh, Amzie Emmons was in there as well. And we um, we talked about that. And one of the things that Jenny Schmidt brought up is that um, her interest in utopias are are just that people aspire to it. Not you know that the fact that it exists as a fantasy is what's important, and that it's a shared a shared fantasy um, that that we all kind of understand. 
Um, and it's an old one too, you know, I mean, it's, and it's, it's used in many different ways, you know, but it's, uh, I, either to, as a specific goal or it's, you know, supposed to be ironic, you know, like Thomas More meant it pretty ironically when he, you know, created the phrase for, for his, his book. But I, I think, um, you know, I think that's what's really interesting is that it's, it definitely is topical, but it's also something that we've always had. And just the fact that we aspire to it or we all fantasize about it is what makes it interesting. So one, one of the things that I guess, because we're, I don't know, I think we're, I think we've kind of talked a little bit about more of your current work, but I'd also like to talk about these um, kind of projected um, aspects to, to your prints as well. Um, so could you talk a little bit about some of the, some of those pieces and, and what they're about? Yeah, I, I've been, um, and, and it's all fairly new, I should say, but I, I've been trying to incorporate um, video with the prints that I, I, I've been making, and um, not, uh, you know, a lot of that just comes from an interest in film and, and video, and um, and so I, uh, I was thinking about it just kind of formally, like, what would it be like to have static you know, graphic images and moving images together, kind of come together. And um, so the the first couple attempts were to um, make this kind of animated element to the print where the print would be, um, the you know, like a black graphic would be like some kind of void that the projection would sit inside of. Um, and now it's become on some more recent videos where I've actually had the, the static graphic um, masked in the video itself. So rather than projecting onto prints, the print is like a mask inside the video that um, that the video kind of has to shoot uh, or, or project around. Um, but, uh, you know, again, I, I think it, it has to do where it came from is this interest in construction and just thinking about um, space and architectural space as something different. So rather than thinking about you know, architecture as right angles and construction as, you know, walls and things like that, thinking about, well, could this static graphic be a kind of architectural element and then the video be this kind of moving organic element, you know, that that works in the piece. Um, and, uh, you know, those are all some good um, arty-sounding answers, but, you know, to be honest, I... One of the other things that I really wanted to, is I just wanted to create more of an atmosphere for the exhibitions that I had. Like, I was getting really bored with it just being this kind of, like, um, white-walled space with, um, you know, some images that you were supposed to go on a line down. And I wanted to make something more atmospheric, so I asked a friend um, to make some music for me for my work, um, this... Uh, this artist, uh, Ryan Hubbard, who uh, goes by the name Electronon, and he made some really interesting, like, droney, dirty electronic music for my work. And um, and then the video was kind of also part of that. I wanted to make it more of an environment um, and have more of a feeling, and I wanted that feeling to be really creepy and um, strange and uh, engaging. Um, so... Uh, especially in, in the show I recently had in Toronto, uh, essentially we were able to light the whole show with just some, um, with just the videos and light boxes that I had in the room. So it, it all became really red and saturated, and um, I thought it was really successful because it did have this this mood to it, and it, it, it was uh, you know it was the kind of mood that you see in like a B horror movie, but I still really liked it. Right, right. Well, and and it kind of brings up something that's of a little bit of interest. Just uh, um, you know, in terms of coloration or, or the way that you kind of use color in your work, um, mm -hmm. you know, again, it, it's it, it seems very specific to, um, to being something that, um, well, to be direct is kind of dirty. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's not. It's never. It's not. not nothing's. That, it doesn't seem like there's anything that's obviously very. You know, super clean, um, mm -hmm. super graphic, super polished. Um, is there any particular, I guess, reason you're kind of drawn to this, or is this something that kind of comes through that kind of layering um, of all these different processes, which now, you know, are maybe including some of these multimedia approaches, you know? 
Um, I think I think it is part of the process for sure. And and I I mean I I think um, I uh, let's see how say this. I my intent is to make it clean, but it doesn't. <laughs> It doesn't. I, I know it doesn't come out that way. So I, I um, I'd like to have a better answer for that. But yeah, that's well, yeah. that's that's the reason. And and kind of the recent decision I've made is if I want to work with color, um, almost treat it more monochromatically, mm-hmm. so that it it's it's got more maybe symbolic power rather than spatial. You know, than trying right. to work with color as space because that's going to be really difficult to do in print. But um, so, so now I've kind of let myself to working more monochromatically and letting the color kind of become um, emotive or symbolic in the work because it does it ends up coming out dirty or uh, rougher than than I intended originally. Well, and you know, just because I can't help but throw out another non sequitur is um, you know it's uh, uh, St. Patrick's Day you know this weekend and, and there's the whole green beer green beer phenomenon. Um, which I, I did partake in, but um, uh, the person that I was with, I, you know, wanted to show off my impressive color mixing abilities, and after dropping just a green drop, I, I dropped a red drop in, and you get a nice neutral gray kind of mm-hmm. beer, and so I'm I'm trying to figure out a, a good holiday for that. So maybe maybe <laughs> you would be the person to talk to, like if there's a if there's an old, like maybe it would be the day that there's the most gray days on earth, and that's the day everybody mixes and has a, a gray beer to go along with it. But um, so was it like, uh, like kind of? Tra- I'm curious. Was it like just translucent gray? Did it look like bad rainwater, or you know, it was a little like, bit cleaner than that. Um, oh, but, really? You know, yeah. I, you know, it might it might be something that you know people that listen to this should check out. You know, and, and yeah. maybe get back to me. Maybe. Maybe maybe we should figure out our own neutral holiday, as I, as I like to think about it. But um, it's very strange in that regards. But um, in terms of in terms of now, maybe a very easy question for you: being a printmaker. Um, and again, I'll, I'll try to wrap bottle this up here. But again, it's pretty fun talking to you. Um, yeah, likewise. You know what? What is it like, or what do you what do you think it's like? I guess to be kind of in this mode now, where where you're you're again, exploring all these different ways of, of printmaking in a time where, you know, there's a lot of uh, cutting of, of such areas or, you know, areas, you know, where you can go to a school and, and they've kind of left uh, litho to the wayside or, you know, certain areas. Like even when I started Illinois State University, they had fibers and, you know, that disappeared. Um, I mean, what is it? What what is it about printmaking that you think is is uh, such a rich thing for people to explore? And obviously, I know, I know that you're a teacher, and you know something that you've been you know invested in as well. So I mean, what do you what do you yeah what what about all that? Well, I I think um, you know for me personally, it, it's that it, it fits into to so many different facets of like our our visual history our visual culture you know um printmaking represents everything from you know fine art to design to illustration um so it, it's got um an entry point into in, into so many different productions that we do currently and historically um it, you know from something as simple as you know we still print newspapers with you know in a in a you know, a, a process, you know, a lithographic process, albeit like, you know, super removed, you don't have anybody, mm-hmm. you know, you know, you have people, a man running the press or a person running the press, but you don't have all the kind of steps anymore because they're, they're bigger machines. But we, you know, these things exist in our world still in that way. Um, and, you know, I think, um, you know, design's a great example right now where graphic design is returning to the handmade. So printmaking's kind of having this resurgence in popularity, which I think does happen, you know, uh, over different decades. Um, but I, I think it is a shame that programs like printmaking are being cut. Um, but it, it's it's kind of just, you know, if I was a glass blower or, you know... Um, I don't know, a 
forger or welder of some kind. You know, I know a lot of sculpture and uh, programs have had to cut some of their traditions um, or some of their disciplines and, and areas. Fibers is, has been cut a lot, you know, in different departments. Um, and I'm not, I'm not totally invested in those like I am in, in printmaking, but um, I, I do think that uh, it's, it's a shame to lose things, but I think printmaking... Um, just as a bias, has a particularly uh, a specific impact on our visual culture, um, even though it may not be something that the general public recognizes right away as fine art. It, it definitely has a place in, um, in, in, like I said, a strong place in the history of visual culture. Um, I also think we, we just think in printmaking, even though we don't know it. You know, um, my example in my teaching philosophy is always that like, um, you know, on the, uh, you know, some of the, you know, the earliest cave paintings, uh, I always forget the name of it, but you know, there's a stenciled hand on the wall, um, and, you know, next to all these cave paintings, you know, so even back then we were thinking about print and indirect mark making. So I think it's, it's a part of how we think visually. Right, right. Well, and I've got a slew of other random things now because I, you know, I'm just like that. Is it Lacau? Lacau? What's that? The caves. I'm trying to think of it. Anyways. You know, that's going to that's gonna throw me off my time, Eric. Sorry. So, <laughs> um, but, you know, I wanted to ask you a little bit, and again, something that we kind of talking about a little bit before. Um, in terms of research, I mean, you've, you've talked a little bit about maybe the visual kind of research that goes into your work. Um, mm -hmm. Are there other kind of aspects to it that, that you know, that is unseen, that involves, you know, maybe you, you know, going to see shows or, or um, you know, obviously uh, reading, um, you know, what, what other ways do you find that you research and, and how that influences your work? Oh, yeah, um, definitely, you know, reading uh, is, is a big part of it, but, um, you know, I, I try to read critical texts and philosophy. I'm, I'm really interested in reading about the sublime right now, but... Um, in addition to that, you know, I'm, I'm always uh, trying to find uh, analogies and uh, associations in, in different forms, you know, like in, in fiction and, and poetry, uh, things that would relate to my work. So, you know, I do read some science fiction, but I also read some literature and, and poetry that are really influential. Um, I've been uh, reading a lot of uh, this poet, George Albin, who I've done projects with um, uh, and trying to finish a project with right now. Um, he's a San Francisco poet. And the, um, also looking at other forms of um, visual, uh, you, know, vis uh, you know, kind of visual expression. I mean, I, I watch a lot of film. Um, filmmakers are really influential in my work, too. But, you know, I've even been interested in just, like, artists that work with projection, like I've been looking at pictures of old 60s psychedelic shows where they used like those overhead projectors and um, food coloring and, and water and transparencies to get these, you know, psychedelic kind of projections going on behind the band. So, and, and yeah, music is also a part of it. And then the artwork that goes along with music. Uh, there's a great artist here in Mankato, Aaron Horky, who um, does a lot of, uh, um, illustrations and prints for, uh, you know, a lot of heavy metal bands and seeing a lot of his work around town has been really interesting. Um, he's in Juxtapose magazine a lot. I'm sure if people are interested, you can look him up, but, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, and like I said, this is going to be random. So, you know, you bring up, you bring up movie making and, and I wanted to ask you then if, if there was ever, um, maybe a, a filmmaker that, I don't know, it's going to base a, a character off of like a, like, like a little Eric Watercutty, mm -hmm. or or maybe like a, a storytelling of Eric Watercutty. Who who would that filmmaker be? Because mm. I have a I have a I have an answer that's totally probably bad. Well, in my in my mind, in, in personally, I would I I want it to be someone who's like super serious and sees into the depths of my being. So I want it to be like. In my mind, I want it to be Werner Herzog, but I know, you know, that people that that know me probably think it's going to be Terry Gilliam. 
<laughs> I was actually going to say, for some reason, I, I always pictured like Wes Anderson for some reason, and I think oh, that's, that would be good. I think yeah. it's partially just because you've got such a, a good sense of humor. At least when I've, you know, had to had to work with you in the past, unfortunately. So, in terms of other other kind of uh, uh, any other things, you've mentioned a little bit about music and maybe playing music. I mean, are there other kind of extracurricular things that you're, I guess, invested in, um, or that maybe kind of pull away from the studio? I, I always kind of like to ask also like about just music and and generally generally speaking, what you're uh, what you're interested in and listening to while you're working. Yeah, um, I well, right now I'm uh, playing in a band, uh, an instrumental metal band um, in town called Deerhead. So that's my extracurricular. We have a gig this Friday at the Midtown Tavern <laughs> with Old Town Ghost and Crash Pedal. So uh, that's that's been a lot of fun. That's been taking off quite a bit. So um, I, I've enjoyed that. And I, I've always liked playing music, but this is definitely something that um, I, I haven't played before. Um, I've always liked um, heavy metal music, but I haven't really played that much. Not that we're that heavy metal, but anyways. Um, well, it, it makes me it makes me wonder then if your enrollments uh, enrollment numbers are up then because people start hearing how there there's that teacher that plays in that metal band. But well, we definitely have a good crowd because of the the great my my very supportive students who will get together to to come out and see us and stuff. So. Um, I don't know if it's helped my enrollments, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, and there's definitely, uh, um, a, um, good, um, a serious, but also laid back faculty here who, um, don't judge me for doing things like this, at least, <laughs> at least not, not most of them, but, um, but, uh, I, I'd say in terms of music, I, I've been, really interested in, um, you know, I was listening to a lot of jazz, so in the studio, but more instrumental stuff lately. Um, and I like that, I like that new, um, which I think is really influential in what we're, what the band I'm in is trying to play, but the kind of new move to have these kind of instrumental rock bands, like, you know, Explosions in the Sky or Mogwai. Um, I love the new Mogwai album, and I, I always think they're I love their approach, and the names of their albums are always awesome. Like, the new one is Hardcore Will Never Die, But You Will. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great title. Oh, for sure, for sure. What what exhibitions would you uh, would you like to, you know, share with, with us that they definitely go see that? You know, is there, is there any, anything in particular that kind of uh, your socks fell right off? My socks fell right off. Even though your um, shoes were on, you know? Well, I, I mean, when I was in New York, it was, it was um, kind of a, an overwhelming uh, couple of exhibitions. Um, I, I spent my time at the Armory Show and the Whitney, mm -hmm. uh, which are huge, huge things. But um, I, uh, I mentioned it earlier, but I thought um, Werner Herzog's piece in the Whitney was incredible. That was, like, my favorite. And then at the Armory, um, I was really... Uh, really taken with um, uh, the Nordic galleries they have. They feature the Nordic galleries. They're like, uh, and that was really interesting. Um, but some artists that I can name that were, I was really taken with this uh, one artist, uh, Matthew Brandt, who had some photographs up um, at the Armory, um, were really, really interesting. And um, I also got to see a great exhibition by a printmaker in um, Toronto when I was there um, a few weeks ago, Daryl Volcat. Um, I think that's, his work is really, really interesting. And um, the thing that also knocked my socks off while I was in um, Toronto was uh, I got to see Sherry Boyle and Christine Fellows' performance. Um, Christine Fellows is a musician from Winnipeg, and then Sherry Boyle's a Toronto-based artist, and she did projections, um, these, like, really basic projection drawings. They were really cool, but simply done on overhead projectors, this kind of shadow puppetry show. That was really awesome, so. Nice, nice. Um, 
And so la- our last thing, we've heard a little bit about this trip to Bowling Green, but um, mm-hmm. uh, is there anything that you'd like to kind of share with us that uh, we should be checking out for? In terms of uh, uh, yes. Eric Watercutter, gosh, that's getting cut. Holy cow. What happened? I said Eric Watercutter. All right. Eric Watercutter. I've got got, um, a show coming up at, well, it's a one-night thing, the one-night event at uh, Violet Poe Projects in Bloomington, um, Illinois, at somewhere Olive Street. Right. Kendra Pates' place. (laughs) Um, And um, I've got uh, some work in a show at uh, Spudnik Press in Chicago at the, um, I think it's called Contributory is the name of the show. But, um, yeah, and then Bowling Green, I'll be there um, in a few weeks, or or next week, I'm sorry, for for a visiting artist um, project that I'm doing there. Uh, But those are the big thing I'd say that I'm really looking forward to is the project with Violet Poe, so. Nice, nice. All right. Well, um, that's all I've got for you. Again, thanks for uh, thanks for the patience in terms of uh, any any interruptions or brain malfunctions. Oh no problem. Thank you, David. I, I, thanks for the invite. This is great. Thanks again to Eric for joining us today. You can find out more about Eric and his work by visiting ericwatercutty.com. I'd also recommend heading over to violetpoeprojects.org where you can find out about his upcoming show that opens April twentieth from five to eight. There's more information there. Our music today was this one. You can find that at Free Music Archive. Again, the songs Western, Chow Young Fat, and Fresh Handmade. If this is your first time joining Studio Break, remember you can visit studiobreak.com for more links to other great artists. We're up to 23 different artists now, complete with interviews, links to their website, so please check that out. We'd also love it if you became a fan of Studio Break on Facebook, so please do that. Again, you can also subscribe to the podcast via iTunes. Just search Studio Break under Podcast to subscribe there and listen. And lastly, you can also check out my own work by visiting davidlinaway.com. You can see what I do. Thanks again for listening, and it's great to be back from a little bit of a hiatus. We'll talk to you real soon. 